You know, there are some extraordinary days in the Bible, some truly remarkable days, like the day that God saved his people from Egypt and made them into a nation by parting the Red Sea and casting the horse and his rider and everyone that was attacking him down low. Or the day when the walls of Jericho fell as Joshua marched the people round and trusting God blew the trumpets. Or the day that that shepherd boy defeated Goliath through trusting his God and just flinging one stone and knocking down the enemy. Or the day that Elijah called down holy fire on drenched heaps as he challenged the prophets of Baal. And we saw that God, God, the God of Israel was the one true God. Or even that remarkable moment that CB talked about last week in Isaiah 9, where Isaiah just lifted his eyes prophetically over the situation. He saw what God was going to do in the future. Even though Israel was in turmoil, he saw this incredible dawning light that one day would come, that God had put on the horizon as a once and for all hope for them through every dark day that Israel would face. His plan for a mighty Messiah king who would sit on the throne of David and be God for eternity. But there are other quieter amazing days in the Bible that are truly astounding as well. And I want to look at one of these today that often gets overlooked. If you can, can you turn in your Bible to Luke one twenty six to 56? That's where we're going to be just looking today. I will have it up on the screen, but it's good to have it up as well. The day that Christmas became very real for Mary... I want to look at this moment. It's not that we don't know this story, is it? It's actually told every year, isn't it, when one child puts on her angel wings and tells another child, wearing a tea towel on her head, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And we all go, oh, so cute, so beautiful. And as long as parental consent forms have been signed, we get a photo opportunity. Look at that, slipping in my safeguarding lead there. Just, do you know, and it's not that this is a bad thing. Do you know, I'm, I'm not some kind of Christmas Scrooge, although between you and me, sometimes the acting is a little bit below par. Just, I give them a four out of ten, some of the children. Do you know, do you know what I mean? They, they try really, what's that? I can be Mary this year. I do a lovely job. Lovely job. I keep telling people I'm very pretty. You know, in its own way, it's a lot of fun, isn't it, to have these nativities, but it runs a risk for us that we need to be really aware of. It runs a risk of causing us to miss some of the magnificence, and it's the right word for this, some of the magnificence of the day where God started the nine-month countdown to Christmas. And if we're not careful, this day can go into our box of, this is just a fable, a nice, pretty story rather than the, wow, you did that God box. I need to tell my children's children, children about this day. I need to pass on what you did on this day because it was so remarkable. And it's so clear as we unwrap this text as we're going to today, 
that clearly has God has this heart for us. This wouldn't be in our fable box. It would be in our what a magnificent day box. Up there with the heights of the other days in the Bible. So turn with me, if you will, just to your Bible. It'll be up on the screen as well. I'm going to miss out 35 to 49 just for time here. If you get time, read that somewhere else, like at home. 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said... Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled with his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And if we jump on to 46, later Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. So what are the magnificent things we must not overlook in this day? What are they? I just want to highlight just a just a few of them. There are genuinely too many to pick out in one preach. Firstly, the thing to pick out is that this happens in Nazareth in Galilee. It's a nod to the north. First 26 we see this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. You know, when the story opens, Mary is minding her own business, happily preparing for a wedding with her husband-to-be, Joseph, in a little backwater town in the northern part of the kingdom. It's only about 100 to 150 people estimated living there at this time. And she is totally clueless to what is about to happen. But although Mary wasn't expecting anything, the very mention of the location Nazareth in Galilee here should grab our attention 
as a location of massive importance in God's plans. You know, this location actually leads us right back to the amazing passage of scripture that Chris read last week. That prophecy 700 years before in Isaiah 9, 1 to 7. I think you only started verse 2, didn't you? You missed this bit. This This is a good bit. But Chris so wonderfully unpacked it, and I'd really say, go back and listen to it. About one day God sending this great light through the Saviour King, who would reign, would go on into eternity. Because this prophecy firmly said that when God did this, it would start in the north, in the backwater, the nowhere place, Galilee. Isaiah 9, 1-7, it starts like this. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he has humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. You know, at the time of this prophecy, like Chris brought out, Galilee was being battered by the Assyrian army. It was in turmoil, distress. But in that day, God said, look, these very soils will be the soils where I will start my redemption story of sending my God King Son. This would be where the dawning of this amazing light was going to begin. So straight away here, at the mention of Galilee and Nazareth, we should prick up our ears. We should listen with intent. This is a place that is vital to God. This is where God said he would do one of his most magnificent acts ever. Luke, the author here, is saying this day is important. Pay attention to it. That's the first thing. Secondly, I don't think Mary was 40, by the way, but all looked like that. Do you know, second thing to take note of is that it involves a virgin. That we don't know about a lot about what Mary was doing before this moment, but we do know what she wasn't doing. Uh, it makes it very clear. She was a virgin. She was a virgin. And this is clearly something Luke, who's capturing this day for us, wants us to take note of in our minds and asks us not to miss the significance of. Actually, in case we miss it in verse 27, he repeats it in verse 34. How can this happen? I am a virgin, she said. Why is this so significant? Well, firstly, against this a sense of who Mary was, that she was humble and a faithful woman who wanted to honour God with her future and her husband and her body. But more than this, just as Galilee was an important place, Isaiah is saying you need to listen, is the point here when we hear the word virgin. There's a separate prophecy that says just as when this God king son comes, in, it's going to come from Nazareth. He's also going to come from a virgin. It's a sign to listen out for. Isaiah 7.14 says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The virgin here in Isaiah's prophecy is described as a sign, a pointer, a listen up. Listen up here, Isaiah is saying. When you hear the word virgin in the future, don't think of some dodgy movie, but instead recognise it's going to be the start of a new time 
of Emmanuel being amongst you. Emmanuel, Chris used it in worship, means God with us, God's presence with us. And this is such a precious promise to Israel. Do you know, God's presence was such a precious thing to his people. It was the very mark that made them different. It was the thing that filled the tabernacle then the temple that led and fed them in the desert that caused them to have mighty victories and set them apart from all the nations around them. It was singularly the most wonderful thing about being God's people that they got to be in his presence with his presence. And Luke is saying here, look, on the day, on this day, a virgin was present just as promised. Take note. This day is really important. It marks a new day of God's presence coming to be with you. So we've got Nazareth, we've got the Virgin. The next thing is this. Mary is greeted by Gabriel. Do you know in um, 28, I'll just read it to you and then we'll, we'll go on. Verse 28, it says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. I really enjoy this bit of interaction if you read it in the Bible. You know, the angel here, Gabriel, I think rocks up with one of the the nicest greetings I have ever heard. If anybody wants to ever greet me like this, greetings you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I will welcome it. A hundred times over. You'll lift my day. It's like Gabriel's been looking forward to this moment for ages and is just like, do you know what? Mary, you are highly favoured. But Mary here's like, whoa, hang on. I don't get it. What do you mean? What do you mean? And I just imagine Gabriel in this moment going, oh, do you know what? Hold on. I just did my best. I don't know how to say you're highly favoured. So he just goes, Mary, you're highly favoured. Don't be afraid. And then he adds quickly the bit about the baby on the end. And you've got to call him Jesus, deliverer, rescuer. Joking aside, though, there are a number of mentions of of angels in the Bible and the work they do on the behalf of the Lord, but there are very few where we hear their names attached to them, as we do Gabriel here. And outside of the first chapter of Luke, Gabriel is only named twice in the Bible. Both of these appearances occur in the book of Daniel, And the last of these is in response to Daniel's great cry of prayer for a rescuer of God's people to come when they're in exile and captivity. Where Gabriel comes and tells Daniel that in approximately 490 years, a rescuer would come to save God's people from sins and wickedness and to bring an everlasting righteousness and who eventually would be put to death. We read this in Daniel 9, 24 to 26. Seventy-sevens are decreed decreed before your people and your holy city to finish transgression and to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal up a vision and a prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. There will be 77s and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And here Gabriel is again, 
approximately 490 years on by best estimations. Coming to say here, you must call this child Jesus, which means the rescuer, the saviour. Gabriel's appearance here is he's saying to Mary, look, your child is to be the one that I spoke to Daniel about, the one that was promised that time ago. He is the answer to Daniel's prayer. So again, here the mention of Gabriel, the mention of his name is so important for us to take note of. Luke is saying that, remember, that 490-year-old promise, time's up. It's starting now, on this day, in this moment. The beginning of the end of wickedness and sin. The anointed ruler who will be put to death is coming now. Take note of this moment. It is incredible. A miracle like no other. As we've already read, verse 34 says, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you know, it's not uncommon in the Bible for God to miraculously give children to barren women especially if he's going to use this moment or raise up some leader or new uh, prophet or saviour of Israel. This theme starts with Sarah and Abraham in their 90s, so there's still time for another child, Jack and Sheila, Jim and Bar, <laughs> where he gives them Isaac. Rebecca, I find that's amazing. Now, I'm 35, I've got three kids, and the thought of making having another one just crushes me inside. I'm so exhausted. (laughs) Still, it's a blessing from the Lord. Rebecca, after 20 years of waiting, had Jacob and Esau. Manoah's wife, following praying in Judges 13, gives birth to Samson. Hannah prayed in the temple and Samuel, the mighty prophet, was born. And just a few verses before in our passage today, the old lady Elizabeth had fallen pregnant with John the Baptist when everybody thought she couldn't have children. You know, Luke wants us to recognise here in this encounter nine months before Christmas that God is being God again. He's miraculously bringing about the life of another leader in his mother's womb. He's doing what he's always done throughout history, moving his hand to bring a new champion to his people. He wants us to remember all of those miraculous births and recognise what this new miracle means following on from history. But he also wants us to recognise that this birth is also not like these other births as well. This one is unique. That although amazing, these other miracles are just a shadow of what God was doing in this moment, on this day. You know, wherever it happens in history, although a healing miracle is taking place, It always insinuates that the very act that makes you not a virgin has taken place after this happens between husband and wife. Polite biblical phrases that we find outside the Song of Solomon, like they knew each other or they lay together, are present. Here, however, there's none of this. Only the act of the Holy Spirit, unlike any other, to be seen 
in history to create, working to create a holy baby in this moment. So in, in the Bible, holiness, the word holiness, describes the absolute majesty of God. His frightening power and complete distinction in person from us as created beings and his absolute moral perfection and blamelessness. Holiness describes that he is the absolute, holy, fearsome, final word over everything. You know, it's it's an attribute that we so often lose sight of in our self-centered world sometimes. But it's so key to understanding God. Isaiah in Isaiah 6 got this when he saw the Lord God in a vision. And he saw him on a throne in a temple where the train of his robe filled the temple with absolute glory. And everyone around him, mighty creatures and everyone else just bowed down saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of mighty. And he fell to his knees and said, woe to me, I am ruined. One of unclean lips compared to you, Lord. And it's a characteristic. That's what this is about. I've got that C.S. Lewis captured so well when he captures that lion, Aslan. Do you remember in the film where the witch accuses Aslan of something? She accuses him of being untrue. And Aslan turns to her and he roars. He just roars. And everybody, everybody fades. And you see all the witch's power flee before him because he's the final word, the mighty and majestic one. That's who our God is. And Luke wants us to understand that when Mary conceived, there was a holy miracle going on here, whereby the power of his holy set-apart spirit, he was making a baby who was utterly glorious and holy like no others, in whom all of that set-apart perfection and frightful, scary authority and power, that last word over everything, would dwell in the same way that Isaiah saw and Aslan depicts. The Holy Spirit was making a holy baby. This day was utterly remarkable. And just finally, in a King David's line that had started centuries before when the prophet Samuel had visited his father Jesse and anointed his son, the youngest shepherd boy, with oil, had been reduced to a lifeless stump by the time we're reading this story. King David, who had been the greatest king in Israel's history, (laughs) led the nations to greatness, who had worshipped the Lord, but who by this time his descendants had no power, no influence in the Rome. The Romans and the Herodians ruled. The Herodians who came from a different bloodline. Yet it was in this broken line, in this broken place, to this broken kingly line, that God had always said, I will bring my saviour king from. This is why in nine months' time, Herod takes it so badly when he hears the Davidic king has been born and tries to kill the babies. Oh no, my days are forever numbered. We see these promises all over the place as you look through scripture. In David's own lifetime, God promises him through Samuel, when your days are over and you'll rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. 
your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne and the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. And Isaiah says that when Jesse, David's father's line, is but a lifeless stump, that is when something will come out of it. Isaiah 11 verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch, Netzer, a branch, Netzer, which actually interestingly shares its root with the word Nazareth, will bear fruit. A branch will bear fruit from your stump. But again, the best and clearest place this promise comes through is in that 700-year-old prophecy about the coming light that Chris C.B. talked about last week again. Isaiah 9, 6-7, For us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that day forward for forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Luke here shares two clear things that show us that on this day, in this miracle, the Isianine stump of Jesse's descendant was the baby, going to be the great king. He tells us in 27 that Joseph was a descendant of David. And then he goes on to recount Gabriel's words, echoing that he will, echoing the Isianine prophecy that he will be great and called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you hear it? Here Luke is crying out. Do you see that the wonderful promise of the Isaiah 9 king saviour, that light who will shine in the darkness, that God king who will sit on David's throne, that joy, that peace bringer. This is the moment it starts. These are the first cracks of that new dawn. This mind-blowing day. Do you see then that when Luke records this day here in these verses, he's not painting a picture of a nice fable nativity. Instead he's showing about how in this remarkable moment God started to weave together all of those strands of history and prophecy and promise to the coming of a great saviour king. From Nazareth to a virgin fulfilling what Gabriel promised Daniel, repeating all of those miraculous pregnancies of old to point to a new leader, the dawning of a new light, the eternal king from David who was holy and God with them. This was the moment in all of history. And God's interaction, the man that all of it had been pointing to. And Mary was suddenly the focal point of this. What seemed like such an ordinary day became one of the most remarkable days in history. And suddenly, and it is suddenly, Mary gets it. It dawns on her that this is what God is doing. In this moment, she's no longer confused or concerned about what Gabriel's meaning was. She's no longer just saying, I'm your servant, do do what you will, God. Instead, something awakens in her. And she understands what God is doing. And she bursts into this song. She realises the role that God has given her in his great plans and purposes for saving and restoring the world and who he is for doing it. 
how merciful, how gracious he is to all who, those who trust him. My soul glorifies in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends for all who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and set the rich away, sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant in Israel, remembering to be merciful and to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. Listen, what's your response to Christmas? What is your response to Christmas? Is it, is it awe or is it awe? Mary, when she got this moment, it was awe. On this day, God wants you to have awe at what he did, weaving together the parts of history to this one key moment when he would cut through the darkness once and for all. You know, this whole mini-series is about getting under the, the layers, getting under the wrapping that we've put on Christmas, getting under that veneer, you know, which are lovely in their own right, but they're not the important bit. They're not the bit that we should be captivated by. That is Jesus and Jesus alone. Emmanuel, holy God, who came to be with us. God immaculately conceived and still with us today, growing his kingdom. That whoever has faith in him can be saved from the kingdom of darkness and brought in the kingdom of light. Listen, there's a, a lot of theology in there today. There's a, a lot of reading from verses, but sometimes that's so important to do because God really did orchestrate history to this moment. And he left us the points along the way to see where and how he did that, how his spirit spoke, how his spirit pointed to this one point in history, this point where he came to Mary and caused her to conceive this holy baby who would be both the rescuer then and the rescuer now. And it's so important that our hearts get this. I wonder, would you stand with me? I'm just going to pray and then let's worship. Holy Spirit, help us get under the layer of Christmas, Father God. Help us get under the culture of this world, the worries of it, the pressures of money, Father God. Even those good bits that aren't the really good bit. Spirit of God, would you come? Would you help us see how you weaved history together to bring your son and leave us in no doubt that he was Emmanuel, Holy God with us. Allow us again, I pray, Spirit, just to be so captivated by your son Jesus and what you, mighty God, did to bring him to be a rescuer and saviour for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.